Growing up, we're shown images of how farms ought to be. Long rows of low greens, stalks of corn, hawks making lazy circles in the sky, the farmers milking cows, grooming horses, and fixing fences. But this childhood take on the farm isn't the whole picture. Farming is big business, in every sense of the word big. Large cuts of the country are solely dedicated to growing the crops that make up our pantries. A quarter billion acres of farmland, millions of gallons of water and pesticides, not to mention thousands of gallons of fossil fuels just to stock our stores with what was once fresh produce. And if that's what farming is, then Square Roots is what farming isn't. This is In Good Hands, a show about the businesses and founders solving our climate crisis. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and today, how Tobias Peggs and his company Square Roots are making big business making farms small, clean, and ready for urban environments. Tobias, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So let's let's jump right in, Tobias. Can you just tell our listeners, what is Square Roots? Yeah, sure. So Square Roots is um, an indoor farm. Um, there are several popping up now around the country, but I guess we're probably most well known for three things, right? One is a very scalable technology platform that basically means we replicate climates from all around the world that are optimized to grow food from all around the world, but we can then create those climates inside little modules that can pop up in your neighborhood and so it allows us to grow food from all over the world but do that literally in the same zip code as where you live right so you can now have hyper locally grown food you have that all year round but you still get the variety that you would do if you went to the 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 supermarket Uh, the second thing we're famous for is our farmer training program So there's actually a big issue in the United States around farmers, which is the average age of a farmer today is 57 years old. And so we got to figure out a way to get more young people into the farming industry. And so we've built a program called the Next Gen Farmer Training Program that takes uh, young people. They can have zero experience. They might never have grown a pot plant before. Um, But we surround them with our training and our technology and our software, and we get them to be able to grow food in these uh, modular farms from zero experience to being a very, very competent farmer in about four weeks of time. So that's pretty amazing. Um, and then the third thing that we're known for is um, we have a, uh, our first um, cluster of uh, these container farms. These modular farms are in uh, Brooklyn in New York today, but we're now building these farms all over the country in partnership with a very large food distribution company called Gordon Food Service, who are an amazing company. They're 120 years old. They've got operations all over North America. And we're now building dozens and dozens and dozens of these farms with them um, to bring this idea of locally grown food but in the city and do that in literally every city in North America. Wow. So you you touched on it in in your opening. Clearly, there's there's a, sh- a shortage of talent uh, that's being funneled into the industry and brought up. You spoke a little bit about you know what you do with the technology and the implications of the farms that I'd love to zoom out a little bit. Sure. Can you just walk through the supply chain of industrial food today and how kind of each of those steps means compromising on the environment in some way, maybe a nutritional value in some way, so we can better understand the problem set? Uh, the, the problem is awful, right? The industrial food system is a $12 trillion global disaster, basically, right? So most, you know, most people don't realize that the food you eat, the food you buy from a supermarket has been tra- often traveling from the other side of the world. You know, a good example of this is you know, the humble lettuce, right? You know, the U.S. consumer eats $1.2 billion worth of lettuces each year. 98% of that is grown in Arizona and California. Wow. So if you're on the East Coast, your you know, lettuce is being shipped you know, several thousand miles across the country. And 
there are many, many problems with that, right? Number one, that system is enormously inefficient. Industrial food system wastes about 40% of the food that's grown, right? Farmers overplant because they have to hedge against nature. You know, food then is being distributed in trucks across the country and is, you know, bouncing around on potholes and, you know, being destroyed. When we get to the store, um, you know, consumers have a very high bar in terms of aesthetics. You know, the food has to look perfect. You know, we walk into the supermarket and you've got perfectly round tomatoes. And so a lot of food is actually sent to waste because it just doesn't look pretty enough, even though there's nothing wrong with it. And of course, the consumer itself, you know, we're trained to like, you know, consume, consume, consume. We buy way too much food and throw it all away at the end of the week, right? So there's like enormously inefficient. Um, not only that, industrial agriculture is an environmental catastrophe. That industry is responsible for 30% of all greenhouse gases. 70% of the food that we eat contains pesticide, right? So it's making us sick. And then, you know, what it all boils down to is the consumer doesn't really trust the food, right? You look at any consumer survey around food and the number one thing that consumers want is transparency, right? Where does my food come from? How was this made? Who was the person that grew this food? And these questions are being asked because people see the impact that the industrial food system is having right, on the planet, on people, and they are looking for a better solution, right? a local, healthy, sustainable food system. And thanks to technologies like we developed at Square Roots and other people are doing, right, you can now begin to see that actually being able to happen where you have a local, healthy, sustainable food system, but you're also able to do that at a national and then international scale. Okay, so I, I have to rewind for a second because today Square Roots, like you said, is kind of a, is a, a three-headed uh, business. You have the urban farming element, you have this robust technology platform, and you have this amazing training program. So what I'd love to know is actually how did we get here like what were you doing before square roots and then what motivated the leap of faith what did you stumble upon some research study i mean what was that eureka moment sure yeah so my my personal background i'm a ai phd and i was working on a social media analytics company that was acquired by walmart I sort of in around 2010. And often in these tech acquisitions, um, you know, you go work at the acquiring company for a couple of years, right, to help integrate the technology and all that stuff. So, you know, long story short, I spent a, a while working at Walmart. And while I was at Walmart, to cut a, you know, long story short, I ended up studying global grocery buying behaviors there and trying to see if, you know, technology solutions could help them. And, you know, as a data scientist, um, you know, I started digging into the data that I was seeing, right? What were people buying from around the world? And the, 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 the thing that triggered it for me, honestly, like I grew up in the UK. So I was like, oh, I wonder what people are buying in the UK. And the number one grocery item bought by the most consumers in the UK is bananas. And I thought, okay, well, when I was growing up in the UK, we sure as hell didn't grow bananas there. So like, where did they come from, right? And I just started getting curious, right? Where did they come from? Where were they shipped from? Where was that grown? And you do that for every single food item for 300 million customers around the world, right? Walmart scale. And the data scientist in you quickly then draws on this map of food just flying all over the planet. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> Um, you know, there has to be a better way, right? You know, I understood that when food travels, you know, the nutrients that are in that food are breaking down into sugars. So maybe the quality of food at the end of that journey isn't as good as it could be, you know, not to mention the environmental impact of just flying food everywhere. And so that kind of led me to think, oh, okay, well, I wonder instead of flying food, you know, instead of shipping food across the planet, can we ship environmental data across the planet? Right. Can we, you know, let's say you want to grow basil, right? The best basil in the world is grown in the north of Italy. Genovese basil, right, is the kind of variety that, that we all like. So, you know, north of Italy, Genoa. And I'm like, okay, well, what if you could replicate the environment in the north of Italy, but do that in Brooklyn? 
And then could you grow that same tasting basil that you would typically import from Italy, but do it in Brooklyn, right? And, and through technology where you can build these indoor controlled climates, right? You can literally replicate that Northern Italy uh, climate, right? Very precisely, right? So what, what we basically did was sort of study, okay, well, in the North of Italy, you know, when does the sun come up? When does the sun go down? What is the average temperature? What is the humidity? What is the CO2 level? What nutrients are in the soil? All of these factors, and you can then replicate that environment and grow that same tasting food, right? So now you're, you know, growing literally the best basil in the world, but you're doing it in Brooklyn and you're able to do that 12 months a year and then get, you know, locally grown food to all the consumers who want that product. So, okay, you are investigating the problem set at large as a, as a kind of a byproduct of your previous journey. Mm-hmm. And you really start understanding the problem area. You start thinking about what a potential solution might look like. But what what is that version one actually? Where did you start? Was it the farm? Was it the, the technology platform? Where did you start? Yeah, I mean, this is probably where my co-founder, you know, comes into the story, right? So I've been very lucky to work with a guy called Kimball Musk um, for probably 12 12- 13 years at this point, you know, we had, we were working on various technologies together, but his main passion and what he's been focused on for the last 10 years has been food and specifically this idea of local, healthy, sustainable food. He has an amazing restaurant company called The Kitchen, which works with local farmers all across the Midwest and, uh, you know, various other sort of food related uh, projects. So when I sort of you know, realize what a disaster the industrial food system was and, you know, thought, okay, there's got to be a better way here. Literally, the first thing that I did was pick up the phone to Kimball. <laughs> and I was like, hey, dude, you're the person who knows as most about food as, you know, I know. So, you know, can we just hang out for a bit, right? And I literally just carried his bag for six months. You know, every meeting he went to, every farm he visited, every, you know, restaurant he opened, I was there. And we just talked and talked about food and talked about technology and you know over time those things started to you know hone in and we were developing certain thesis and then we'd go check out you know what people were doing around that and you know over the course of that period of time we then came up with the model for for square roots right and the, the, the sort of big idea is how can we get locally grown food to every consumer in every city across the planet and so that then leads you to, okay, we're going to come up with a scalable technology platform that can feed, you know, 7 billion people today, 10 billion people by 2050 as population increases. And then crucially, we need to make sure we have a flow of farmers, right? And so we've got to solve this issue of young people are not, you know, joining the agriculture industry, right? So can we create... A training program and something really exciting and compelling where young people will start to join the, the the farming industry, right? So those are the kind of two two pieces of the model. You talk about some of the technology that goes into these modular units. So can you just break it down? Like what's what's under the hood? What if I were uh, if I were graduating from your training program and I was and I was starting my own farm in one of these units? Like what? What are the specs? Like, what does it come with? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so basically, indoor farming is really about recreating the optimum climate, right, for the particular crop that you're growing, right? And then the technology solution that you need needs to enable that, right? So, you know, inside these, these, these kind of modules, right, you've got a climate control system, right, that understands that the optimum temperature for basil might be 75 degrees right and so how do you create a climate that's 75 degrees in a world where you're growing that plant right that's transpiring you're increasing oxygen levels and co2 levels you've got lights that are inside these farms that are providing the energy to the plant to grow but they're also throwing off heat right which is then also altering the climate so you, you've basically got a system that's kind of constantly adapting and constantly, um, uh, you know, reconfiguring itself to be the optimum climate all the time for the food, 
right? In a world where that food is growing and trying to change the climate, right? So there's kind of a, you know, a lot of automation that goes on there around the climate. The, the, the second thing though, and this is really important, which is you, you need to drive consistency into the workflow in the farm right you know things that the farmers do down to like how many seeds should we put into this growing plug right if you put four seeds of basil in or six seeds of basil in the end result of that plant can be very different right if you kind of overseed the plant is going to be uh, very tightly uh, packed and you're going to have certain leaves that are fighting for energy over the other leaves because they don't have enough space. And you end up with a very sort of inconsistent product, which no one wants to buy. Right. And so it all comes down to driving consistency into the workflow. Let's make sure that the farmers put exactly five seeds into a plug every single time. And so in addition to the climate, then we've built um, a lot of software uh, that guides the farmers through their day-to-day -day activity and sort of drives home this consistency. It's an app we've built. We call it the Farmer Tool Belt. And literally, when a farmer goes into the farm, they open the Farmer Tool Belt, and the Farmer Tool Belt will guide them through everything that they need to do today. And then that also provides a means for data capture. Um, you know, the farmers are taking photographs of what the plants look like at various stages. And all of that information then helps us do things like project ultimate yields right by now we know what you know harvest should look like two weeks before you know harvest day right so we can use machine vision and computer learning to take um you know the current status of our of our crop and be able to project what ultimate yields are going to be and you know then also be able to jump in and take action you know if we need to halfway through the growing cycle right based on what the ultimate forecast is going to be so there's a very sort of sophisticated, uh, uh, you know, hardware and software system that we've built here. This is amazing because you can optimize around, you know, physical resource efficiency, you know, best use of water, best use of, of energy. But I totally neglected there's a huge component of just labor efficiency. Oh, I mean, if you look at any agriculture business, labor is like 50% of the cost. Wow. And, you know, there are a lot of investment dollars flooding into indoor ag today. You know, companies literally raising hundreds, $200 million to build robots to take the human element out of farming, right? Because that, that's the biggest cost here. Uh -huh. We think that's completely the wrong thing to do, right? Plants are not widgets right they don't just grow you know uniformly every time it's very very difficult and expensive to get a robot to like manage the plant right you've got to have a person in there you know dealing with all the, the variables more importantly though you know the the consumer today wants food that they can trust right they want to know okay there's a farmer growing that food and i could talk to that farmer if i wanted to right and having a person in the middle of that system is really really important i think and then the final thing, and I, I find, honestly, I find what I'm about to say quite difficult as a data scientist, but I've learned this to be true having run a farming business for three years, is that the magic ingredient in growing food is actually the love that the farmer brings to the food. TLC. Right? It's the person that's in the farm, like willing the plant to come to life, uh -huh. you know, playing it the music, giving it the you know, the tender touch, right? You can actually taste that love in the food, right? For sure. And so you, you've got to have a farmer in the middle of the system. The key thing then is, okay, how do you surround that farmer with tools and technology and data and insights to help them make smarter, faster decisions and do that in a very consistent way, right? So you end up then with a very predictable business, but it's very, very important to have the farmer at the center of the system. It's really interesting that you bring this up because most of the narrative you hear when people start introducing uh, smart computers and artificial intelligence, the they think they look at the output as loss of work. Mm -hmm. And Square Roots is an example of the exact opposite. Not only are you helping people uh, be better and more productive at their job, but I mean, you can imagine at scale if you have one of these modular units in every zip code or set of zip codes, you in effect 
I mean, that that means jobs. Correct. It is the exact opposite of job elimination. Co- correct. A- a- absolutely right. Yeah. Walter Robb, the founder of Whole Foods or co-founder of Whole Foods, he talks about the meshing of technology and humanity. And I, I think that's a really wonderful term that sums up what we're doing, right? This is a very you know, people-centric operation that we have with Square Roots. But at the same time, it's wildly efficient because we've been able to build these, you know, tools and data and insights and technology and whatever, like to help the farmers, you know, increase productivity and make very consistent decisions, you know, which all adds up to a beautiful product, but from a, like a business engine that's also very, very scalable. You talked a little bit about uh, you know, what industrial food looks like today. It's getting shipped, you know, thousands of miles based on where you live. It's bouncing around in these trucks. It's being damaged. The imperfect food is being tossed. So I would love to just better understand you talk about these farms in Brooklyn and New York, and then eventually in other communities. Are these in parking lots? Are these on rooftops? Like, yeah. where are they in cities? And then how exactly does the food or the produce that's created in these little farms get into stores, into homes? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And actually, it's a lot of fun as well. So our, our farm in Brooklyn literally is on a parking lot. Um, so I remember the conversation that I had with the landlord, right? And I said, hey, I don't want to, you know, I want to rent 10 parking spaces from you, but I don't want to put a car there. I want to put a farm there. I <laughs> the thought I was insane, but let, let, let us do it, right? So now we have a farm and a parking lot. You know, farmers are in the farm uh, kind of growing the food. And then the farmers also pack the food. We then, same day, Uh, start distributing the food to retailers all across New York, right? So we have a fleet of e-trikes, right? So battery-powered tricycles. And each of those trikes have got a climate-controlled kind of box, like a cool box on the front of these bikes. So the food goes straight from the farm in the perfect climate, straight into these e-trikes, perfect climate. And then we literally cycle around uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn. Uh And we distribute the food to about 85 different retailers across the city today. Um, And, uh, you know, that all happens within, you know, 24 hours of the food being harvested. I mean, what about, I I remember seeing uh, for the first time one coming through my my neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen this past week and thinking to myself- Wow. I didn't know that. You stole the bite? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. And again, I mean, it's, it's also, it's a moving billboard, right? That was, that was, my next question was how, how have customers been learning about Square Roots? And I can imagine what it, I mean, you have to move product from point A to point B. So not only you're doing that in one of the most kind of energy efficient and sustainable ways on these bikes, but it's also a moving billboard. <laughs> like what a great way to educate the local populace around what you're doing. Like, what is this? You know? Yeah. I, I think that's right. I mean, I think from a, you know, if we think about the brand, right. And the story that we're trying to tell through the brand, what we're really trying to do is get the urban consumer connected with their local farm and their local farmer. Right. So, um, you know, the trikes are often people's first interaction, right? There's, you know, the number of videos that fly around on social media of people like, you know, chasing our bikes down the street is is kind of crazy, Uh right? So it often starts there, actually. And then um, uh, people can come to the farm, right? One of the reasons we built the farm in a parking lot in Bed-Stuy in Manhattan, in, uh, in Brooklyn, is, you know, you can just jump on the M or the J or the G and come to the farm, right? Literally 8 million people can jump on the subway and come and see what, what's happening. Uh, we do open house farm tours on a monthly basis, right? We'll get a couple of hundred people show up and, uh, you know, peer into these farms. We have windows on the end of the farms. So anyone walking by can always have a look in and see what's going on and see the farmers at work. And then if you can't get to the farm, right, if your only interaction with the brand is by picking up a, you know, a packet of our product in a retail store, there's also a QR code on the package, which if you scan that with your phone, will show you what we call the transparency timeline. And it's basically a story of how your food got to 
your shopping cart, right? And it will list every step along the way from, you know, the day that we bought the seeds and where we bought the seeds from. And it will show you pictures of what this looked like in the nursery when it was growing. And it will show you pictures of what it looked like, like in the farm yesterday, right? And even it will show you a picture of which e-trike, you know, we use to get it to your retail store, right? So you can then see, and then from that timeline, you can tap on, you know, a picture of a farmer who did a certain step and go learn more about that farmer, right? Go check out their Instagram and see what they're doing in the farm. So the whole idea, you know, whether we're, we're, we can do that physically because you visit the farm or digitally through the um, uh, transparency timeline, again, the whole idea is how do we get you more connected with your food and the people that grew your food? You are flipping every part of the traditional food life cycle on its head. I mean, from every part of it, how it's grown, the level of, of transparency you give to the customer, the amount of tools you give to the farmers to make sure that they're outputting the highest quality uh, yield that they can forecast so that they can engage in productive relationships with retailers. Um, so there's no disappointment across the board. I mean, it is every part of this this supply chain you have flipped on its head and made a step function better. So that that actually leads me to my next question. You talk about the Brooklyn farm being in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. I've seen the inside of the containers online on your website. They are magnificent. I'd, I'd have to ask when you when you're thinking about you you're now you're in Brooklyn, but now you as you're engaging you know hundreds maybe more thousands of communities around the U.S. and then you know, mm-hmm. broadly speaking around the world, do you have to engage with the local community around like, hey, we're going to put some of these containers in your neighborhood? What do you think? I mean, is there any kind of in- community engagement process there or any friction? Uh, uh, well, there's a lot of community engagement, actually. And and we feel it's very, very important as a farmer entrepreneur to understand explicitly how to build community, right? And so our farmers, right, who are on the farmer training program, as well as farming and as well as helping with the sales and marketing and getting out into the stores and doing installed demos and talking with the customers. In addition to that, we also put them through a fairly rigorous 12-month training program where they follow a curriculum, right? They learn about plant science with a course that we developed um, with Cornell. Uh, They learn about entrepreneurship where they learn about um, or they learn that through a curriculum that we developed with a wonderful woman called Erica Gruen, who was the former CEO of Food Network and is now an NYU uh, food entrepreneurship professor. And then finally, we put them through a three-month community building course where they work with um, school children um, in the local neighborhood and bring them to the farm and try to get the next generation inspired about growing up to be a farmer, right? So this idea of community building and engaging community is not just, you know, something we know we need to do. It's actually baked into the DNA of the farmer training program that everybody goes to. Coming up on the show, Tobias talks with us about the Gordon Food Service Partnership and what that means for thousands of cities around the U.S. But before we get there, I'm thrilled to introduce you to this season's sponsor, Bite Toothpaste Bits. Bite is this totally new take on toothpaste. It's free of harsh chemicals, preservatives, and most importantly, plastic. So instead of the sticky paste and plastic tubes that linger in landfills, you pop a tablet in your mouth, you bite down, and you start brushing. It foams up just like the regular mint toothpaste. And here's the cherry on top. So Byte has never extended a discount on their product before, until today. For the first time, Byte is offering listeners of this show an exclusive offer on your first four-month subscription. So if you go to bitetoothpastebits.com, you use the code INGOODHANDS, you'll get $5 off plus free shipping. So that's code INGOODHANDS and see why thousands of customers rate Bite five stars. Again, I love my Bite toothpaste. They eliminate plastic waste. They use all natural clean ingredients. 
They don't leave any of that sticky goop all over my bathroom counter. And seriously, we brush our teeth at least twice a day every day, right? We're gonna need toothpaste. So why not choose a cleaner, all natural alternative that's just as effective, if not more, and fun to use? So try out their flagship four month supply at bitetoothpastebits.com, use code INGOODHANDS, and let us know what you think. Now back to the episode. You mentioned for a brief second at the beginning of the conversation, now you're in the scaling phase. You're bringing Mm -hmm. the technology platform, you bring everything you've learned Mm -hmm. uh, to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And you touted the this partnership with Gordon Food Service. What are the implications of that engagement? Yeah, so as I said, they're a really wonderful company. We've probably known them for about two years, I would think. And, you know, they're huge. (laughs) Um, You know, billions of dollars of revenue, tens of thousands of customers, coast to coast. Um, And, you know, these food services companies, if you're not familiar with sort of their business and their model, they provide the food to you know all of the restaurants and hotels and institutions. You know, if you're a, a chef at a at a restaurant, right, you're not going to Whole Foods to do your shopping, right? You get you know, a big truck turns up once a week with all the food that your kitchen needs, and that will come from a food services company like a Gordon Food Service. And so the conversation that we had with them was very interesting because they were saying, "Hey, listen, our customers, these chefs." They want local, healthy, sustainable food because their customers, the people that are eating at the restaurant, that's what they want, right? There's this mega trend that's happening where the U.S. consumer is you know, increasingly demanding this food. Um, but you know, it's hard for a large company like that to work with local providers at a national scale, right? You know, every single local provider has got a different way of working, and it's just kind of hard to wrap your head around that at scale. So what we were able to sort of frame out with Gordon Food Service was, well, what if we built our farms on every single one of your distribution centers across the country? And then we can run our farmer training program and bring more young people into the industry. And through a combination of the farmer training and then the scalable technology platform that we've got, we can pretty much guarantee being able to grow you know, a range of crops where we understand the quality and we understand the yield and it will be very, very predictable for you, which is you know, exactly what they want. But we can do that all year round and we can do that you know, across, the, across the continent. And so that, that's the partnership that we now have, right? So the, the first farm that we're opening with Gordon Food Service is in Michigan. That opens on September 9th. Um, so you know, later this summer into the fall, um, and then we'll make an announcement towards the end of the year as to where the next, you know, 10 and 20 farms are going um, in that in that relationship. But it's very, very exciting um, to be, you know, at this point, weeks away from our first uh, co-located farm opening. So, I mean, there is going to be a Square Roots farm or co-owned farm or unit of farms in tens, eventually hundreds, and then thousands of communities around the US. I mean, that Mm-hmm. That's right. That's amazing. Okay, so I'd love to transition to to impact a little bit more. We talked a lot about sure. what square roots means in a number of core categories, right? What it means for yield, what it means for nutrition, for the customer, for farmers, for jobs. I want to actually highlight the farmer training program specifically. Are there any alumni stories you're proud of yeah it's um it really it really is amazing actually looking back so the company itself we're only two and a half years old right so um you know it sounds like we're doing a lot but you know we we, we've done it in a very short period of time um and the farmer training program that we have is a 12-month program right so we've literally completed two programs and now we're midway through the, the third program. So we're beginning now to, you know, have some significant data that shows, you know, how much this program helps accelerate people's careers after they've graduated. So two that I'd probably pick up actually from our first program that started at the end of 2016 and ran through most of 2017. 
So one of the guys, Johnny Bernard, um, it was a you know fantastic farmer, came to us. Um, I think he was an accountant, actually, and he decided that originally, right, and he decided he didn't want to spend his life sat behind a spreadsheet typing in numbers and wanted to make an impact on the world. So quit accounting and came and joined Square Roots for 12 months, right? Learned how to grow food and sell food and, and got this idea in his head that he wanted to be a food entrepreneur. At the end of the program, he went back to um, back to Long Island, right? Back then I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can do like, you know, a lot, lot more than that. I wonder what else is going on. It turns out a year later, he is now the mushroom king of Long Island. Part of the reason that he went back was his parents had a spare garage and he turned that into an indoor mushroom farm and is growing the highest quality mushrooms you can find in Long Island and selling them to all the fancy restaurants, you know, uh, uh, up and up and down the island there. And is now like a fully fledged, you know, urban farming entrepreneur. And it is amazing to see what he has done there. And I, I was lucky enough to talk to him a couple of weeks ago. He came back to the farm and he was like, I wouldn't have had a clue how to do any of this without coming through the program. So, so that, that was cool. And it's great when people graduate and then go set up their own farms, right? And, and sort of contribute to that. But also when you think about the range of skills that we're providing coaching on in the year, you know, plant science and entrepreneurship and, and, and community building, but also technology, right? And then, you know, another guy that I'll talk about, Max Carmack, um, Maxwell Carmack, he spent the, you know, his 12 months in the farm. He actually had a mechanical engineering background. And he would just complain constantly every single day about how terrible the technology was that he was using. And if he, you know, could design it, he would do it 10 times better. And so at the end of his 12 months, I was like, Max, why don't you actually join our engineering team and help us build the next version of the farm technology? which is exactly what has happened, right? And so now Max is, you know, leading the design aspects of, you know, our future uh, farming technology platforms and, you know, is like a, you know, leader in our company now on, on, on an engineering side, right? But again, someone who really deeply understands what it's like to be a farmer in these systems and to grow food in these systems you know, you need to have that experience to then be the best engineer that you can be in the world of indoor farming, right? So plenty of examples like that, but it's really amazing to see what people go on to do now. Clearly, there's some very large shoes to fill with the Gordon Food Service Partnership, and I'm sure there'll be many more, maybe locally, maybe across other countries and continents. What's the moonshot for Square Roots? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm going to go right the way back to our mission statement, uh -huh. which, you know, was the first bit of work that we did, right, two and a half years ago, was to, to put down a mission statement and make sure that we were building a company that would help us march towards that mission statement, right? And the mission is to bring local, real food to every consumer in every city across the world and do that by empowering the next generation of leaders in the food industry. Um, and, you know, you can sort of, you know, every single word in that statement carries some weight, which influences the decisions that we make, right? We wanted to bake in the impact of the farmer training program right into that mission statement, right? That is our engine. And while we're building, you know, what we hope is a billion dollar business here, we want to do that and do well at the same time as doing good and bringing new people into the industry, right? But then if we think about that business aspect, right, bringing local real food to people in cities, we say, right, because we do think that this is, a, is an urban play, you know, by 2050, there will be 10 billion people on planet Earth and 70% of them will live in urban areas, right? So that's kind of where we're focusing and the technology decisions that we make and the form factor that we decide on is all with that sort of urban future in mind. And, um, you know, we want to do that all around the world, right? It's great that we have this wonderful farm in Brooklyn that, you know, people can come and visit and that's really nice, but that doesn't lead you towards being a billion dollar company, mm -hmm. right? We have to now go replicate that model and be that, you know, local farm, that local food company, but do that at a national and international scale. You guys have your, your work cut out for you, but I mean, if there's a team in an org that's going to do it, 
it's it's going to be you guys. I mean, if I could put all my chips, <laughs> I, I could hope so. Pour all my <laughs> chips in, man, this is oh, I, so fascinating, so impressive. My favorite part of the interview, I I always keep this for last, is the lightning round. I did some Instagram stalking, sure. some LinkedIn stalking, any interview I could find of you. And I came up with four questions. We'll try to answer them in 60 seconds or less. You ready to go? In total or per question? Per question. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm up for the challenge. Awesome. So first question, you run a number of successful companies. As you said, one that was acquired by Walmart, another by Adobe. Now you're running a rocket ship company with Square Roots. But I'd love to know, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn? Oh my God. What day are we talking about? (laughs) Um, I mean, literally, I will do something wrong every day. Um, I actually think though, the key, one of the keys in entrepreneurship is to embrace that and take it as a learning experience, right? And, and that actually is the reason why you have a British guy living in America, right? Because, you know, growing up in England, the environment, you know, isn't move fast and break things, you know, learn from your failures, right? The environment is very much don't fail. And if you do, it's a problem. Right. Whereas I, what I found in America when I moved here 20 years ago is it's the opposite, right? People respect the fact that you've tried and you failed and you've learned and you will do it better next time. Right. And so, you know, the whole modus operandi at Square Roots, um, you know, it's actually baked into our core values, you know, move fast, but then reflect regularly, right? Constantly iterate. Um, so if we're not, failing we're probably not trying hard enough so it is literally a daily occurrence by design i love that next question so you've raced i saw on your instagram you've raced a number of ironman you've snowboarded backcountry in british columbia which is more like your experience with square roots (laughs) that's a great question um yeah just to just to confirm that I've done half Ironmans. I have not been okay, not okay. been crazy enough to do a full Ironman. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would say that the triathlon is is triathlons actually has got a lot of analogies to running a business, right? Because people people think about triathlon being a three sport, um, uh, you know, kind of race, swim, bike, run, but it's actually five, right? It's swim, bike, run, and transition. Right, the number of people who waste time because they haven't practiced how to take off their wetsuit quickly is, uh, you know, a disaster. And then nutrition, right? When you're kind of pushing yourself for hours on end and you're at your limit, you got to figure out how to take on nutrition during the race as well. Otherwise, it's a disaster, right? So you're kind of, as an athlete, you're wearing, you know, five different hats here, right? And I think as a, you know, a, a sort of founder or quite frankly, any team member in an early stage startup, you're also wearing multiple hats. And you're doing things that are uncomfortable, right? I don't really enjoy swimming, but if I don't do the swimming, I'm not going to finish the race, right? So like you have to do things sometimes that suck. Um, and, uh, you know, you're in pain quite frequently, but you have to get to the finish line somehow, right? That's a, that's a triathlon and that's running a startup business. There are a lot of parallels there. Um, you know, the snowboarding for me, I would say if something's gone really well at Square Roots, I might, you know, take the evening off and have a nice beer. Uh-huh. And uh, that's more like the snowboarding for me. That's the, okay, I'm at peace with the world. Let's just float around on some powder. Everything's good. <laughs> that's like the tranquil Zen period for sure. Wait, out of curiosity, uh, you you talk about the tra- <laughs> the five sports and the transition. I never thought about when you're when you're getting out of the water, and you're getting ready for the next sprint. Mm-hmm, the is bike, there, yeah. yeah, is there a room where you? I mean, how do you actually change? Like, is there? A- oh, there's a what's known as the transition area, right? So your bike is on a rack, and you're running kind of, you know, clothes are sort of laid out underneath that. Um, so um, you know, you finish the swim, run to transition, take off your wetsuit, put on your bike helmet put on your bike shoes and go, right? And then at the end of your bike, you come back to that transition, rack your bike, put on your running shoes and go, right? So kind of transition is like a hub that you keep coming back to during the race. Got it. 
Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so anyways, that that analogy was amazing. Both both analogies, actually. Um, but I have to ask, and I, it, it doesn't sound like you have much free time to think about things outside of Square Roots, but I'll take a chance. If you weren't working on Square Roots, is there another problem area you would explore? Yeah, I can answer this really um, quickly, actually, which is food waste. Right, so I think about you know Square Roots as providing more food and doing that in a more sustainable way, which is kind of one half of the equation. You know, we're going to go. We need to feed ten billion people by twenty fifty, and we cannot do that with the current system. Right, so you need different ways to do it, better ways to do it, and you got to get more food um, onto more plates. So you know, we're kind of one half of the equation. The other side, though, is food waste. Right, I mentioned earlier in the interview current system wastes 40% of the food that is grown. That is criminal. And, um, you know, there are all sorts of interesting technologies um, to tackle food waste on a, you know, again, right, a smarter, a digitized, smarter, more intelligent way, but also a more sustainable way, right? Even let's take something specific like packaging, right? There's a reason that food is in plastic packaging today, which is it helps with shelf life. Right, the plastic packaging is impermeable to oxygen, so the food retains its kind of freshness for longer on the shelf. That helps tackle food waste. Um, but can you do that in a more sustainable way? Right, there's lots of really interesting stuff around nanocellular technology now, where you can basically extract material from food waste actually that creates a film that is impermeable to oxygen, and you could then potentially wrap you know, paper packaging in this impermeable film and have a completely, you know, sustainable packaging industry, right? And avoid all plastics. That would be amazing. You know, these things like 10 years out, right? But there's a lot of very, very interesting work going on on the topic of food waste, which again, I think is the other half of the equation, right? Grow more food in sustainable ways and don't waste food. And, you know, the mechanisms that you bring to market to ensure that do that in a, in a sustainable way. I love it. Last question, and it's the question I ask all of my guests. Who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? Oh, wow. Um, I think I've been really lucky, actually, in my career to work with you know, really amazing people who are also very, very generous with their time. You know, I think about my first job in tech that was back in the early dot-com days, and the founders of that company really in, uh, just you know, had so much confidence in, you know, me or I was a very young person. I didn't really know what I was doing. And, um, you know, they sort of filled me with the confidence to go and tackle new things. And, you know, I always knew that they would be there to support me. Um, that was a, you know, amazing learning experience coming over to the U S right. Obviously working with people like Kimball, you know, I mean, his brain works at a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> And he can be, you know, one minute at 100,000 feet talking about strategy and what the company looks like in 2030. And the next minute, he's like right down in the details talking about, you know, how we can change the CO2 level by half a percent to increase the yield in farm box number three or, you know, whatever the detail is. And, you know, your job is basically to try and stay up with him as he's, you know, jumping around to be in these different levels. It is amazing. So, yeah, I think it really has been a case of, um, you know, being very lucky, right, in, in my career trajectory just to be able to work with such brilliant people. And I find that, um, you know, br brilliant people and they're generous with that time as well. That is really the best way to learn, right, by absorption. You know, write down everything they say, think about everything that's coming out of the, you know, brain and try to understand why that's there. And I think that's the best way to learn. I mean, I feel lucky in this very moment. I mean, I uh, we, we've been talking for fifty minutes, and I feel like I've learned more in this in this short period of time than I have in <laughs> the last several weeks. Tobias, is there any kind of final plugs you want to tell our listeners about Square Roots or how they can find you um, if you're hiring any specific people? That the uh, red carpet is yours. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I would point people to the website, squarerootsgrow.com. 
on the website there, you'll find information about farm tours, right? If you just want to come and see what we're doing, we have open house farm tours on a monthly basis. You'll see information there about our farmer training program and how to apply for that. Um, applications are currently open for our Michigan program. And later this summer, we'll open them for the Brooklyn program. Um, and then from the website, you can jump off to our social media, right? Follow us. We're very active on social. We talk a lot about the technology and the farmers and the food. And um, um, and then, you know, if you can't get to the farm, um, you know, on the website is a store locator, which lists the 85 plus retailers that we uh, work with across New York. And, you know, I'd love anyone listening to go buy the product and, uh, you know, send me an email on Tobias at squarerootsgrow.com and tell me what you thought, right? The product doesn't get better unless we, you know, hear from customers about what they liked and what they didn't like. So all, all feedback is good feedback. There you have it, people. Tobias was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Wow. Super inspiring talking to Tobias. Thanks again to him for coming on the show and to Krista for making this episode possible. Sincere thanks to all of you for giving us a little bit of your time today. Seriously. It really does mean a lot to us. If you enjoyed, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. And huge shout out to Byte for sponsoring this season of In Good Hands. Also, special thanks to Lucas Arndt and Dan Mahoney who produced this week's episode, Javier Quinones who designed our creative, and to our music director, Eddie Knuckles. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and if you'd like to recommend a guest, sponsor an episode or help spread the message you can find us on social at in good hands or our website ingoodhands.us again huge huge thanks to all of you for your support we really do appreciate it and can't wait to bring you another new episode next tuesday